This episode is brought to you by Fetch. Fetch is a kennel alternative right here in Denver, not a traditional doggy daycare or boarding school. They offer one-on-one private pet care for all kinds of pets, both furry and non-furry. And their employees are experienced, insured, bonded, and background checked. So you can rest easy knowing your pet is in good hands. Basically, they know pets. Um, I used to watch a Burmese mountain dog named Sven, who was just like walking a polar bear. It was insane. (laughs) Fetch offers pet sitting, dog walking, pet taxi, medication administration, and more. And he hated going on walks. I could like walk him around the block and then he was like, he just like to lay in the bathtub. So if you're looking for high quality pet care you can trust, check out Fetch at northdenver.fetchpetcare.com. That's northdenver.fetchpetcare.com. Today on CityCast Denver is brought to you by Tecovis, and we're talking all about Denver's place in the Wild West. But can you tell the difference between a sincere historical account and a manufactured legend of the frontier? We're continuing Western Week with our politics and green chili correspondent, Justine Sandoval, who joins us to play a little game we're calling Two Truths and a Tall Tale. Plus, stick around till the end for your Tecovis tip of the day. Today is Monday, January 8th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Justine Sandoval, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Hi, everyone. Producer Paul Caroli, hello. Howdy, Bree. Hey, howdy. When in Rome, mm-hmm. uh, we're celebrating Denver's Western roots all week long here on the podcast. And today we wanted to make like a fun game out of it and test each other on how well we know Wild West history, Colorado <laughs> history. If you can't tell from Paul's laugh, he's like, this is a this feels like a Paul show. This is like show. my favorite this stuff is in a the Paul whole show. world. I love this. Yeah. I've been so excited to do this. I had so much fun preparing for this and I cannot wait to hear what you two came up with. I am so curious. I feel like, Justine, we did something similar last year when Paul gave us stock show trivia. Oh, yeah. I'm still really disappointed in myself in how I performed in stock show trivia. So this Is this year, a rematch? I've watched a documentary on the stock show. I've really, like, got into it. What yeah. you learn? I learned, you know, when the stock show started, the whole background behind, you know, the gold rush ending and there needing to be another like form of commerce. Uh And so they decided they want to be the cattle industry, like hub of the West. So it's pretty awesome. And I live right up the street from there. And I've seen the Coliseum my whole life, but it's kind of like cool to get the history, like the buildings set up, the stockyard. So yeah, I am a lot more knowledgeable this year. Nice. I feel you. What's it like in the neighborhood right Um, now? Is it swamped? So as of right now, it's still calm before the storm. The weekend. Yeah. From I-70 in Washington will be backed all the way up into like 30th and Walnut area. And I will be trapped in my... (laughs) (laughs) cul-de-sac <laughs> like i literally have to run out and check to see if it's blocked because even just during rush hour it gets backed up so add the stock show in and it's just we impossible. just need to get you a horse i think <laughs> just i think so and you too. can just get around via mm-hmm. horse and mm-hmm. everybody will get out of your way my steed <laughs> is the lime green bicycles <laughs> in the neighborhood <laughs> so we're, we're playing a game sort of first day of school style it's It's not two truths and a lie. It's two truths and a tall tale about Denver's Wild West. 
I would say Colorado's Wild West. Can I say? I, I did stray a little bit. So did I. Yeah, so a little I. bit. Mine involves a ghost town. So. Ooh. Oh. So. Um, but we each brought three stories, and we're going to see who knows best which are the hard real facts and which ones we totally made up. Um, Paul, do you want to start with Heck your yeah. three your three stories? Absolutely. Two, two real ones and a potential, and one of those. All right. I'll, I'll, tales. I'll give them to you a little bit slow, and we can talk about each one. Okay. Um, so... Uh, Story number one. I heard this a few years ago about this uh, rapscallion, rabble-rouser, con-man type named Jefferson Randolph who showed up in Denver 1879 with this gang of other like crooked types. These are con-men folk. And um, so this guy, he had already won the nickname King of the Frontier Con-Man because he was doing shell games and like three-card Monty in Texas. But when he came to Denver, he got famous for this one particular scam um, where he would set up a briefcase on a street corner filled with bars of soap wrapped in paper. And he would show people that some of these bars of soap have dollars in them, like lots of money. And so he would sell the bars of soap for like more than what you would sell soap for because people thought they might have a chance to win. But then somehow it was always his cronies who would be planted in the crowd to, to, to buy the soap with dollar. the ones with the dollars. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Simpler times that, when we were buying soap from strangers on the street. <laughs> I know. That's, it is hard to imagine doing that. I know. I kind of But it's, it's more about the sweepstakes aspect, I think, is why he was doing it. Because, like, people would know, oh, I have a chance to, like, hit it rich with this soap. And, like, that's, like, I was at, uh, I was in the Bay a couple months ago. And, like, that's Fisherman's Wharf activity, for sure. You oh, really? see, Yeah, you see those kinds of people doing that not scams but like the shell game stuff mm-hmm. still happening so it's a more wholesome grift than other <laughs> grifts <laughs> what was this guy's name again uh jefferson randolph uh all right story number two <clears throat> i heard this story once about a black man named john he was born a slave in the pre-war south and he won his freedom fighting for the union army um, after the war, he traveled west. He re-enlisted as a buffalo soldier where he explored Colorado, met indigenous people of various tribes. But then what's interesting about him is he ultimately left the army and then lived with those tribes on and off for the rest of his life. Um, but curiously, and most famously about this man, whenever he returned to these frontier settlements in Colorado, say Denver, um, this former slave called himself, quote, the first white man to settle the Pine River Valley. Huh. As in like a non-native person. I think so. I think so. Because I think that's how people thought about, you know, race and identity in a different way back then. I have to say, I I don't think this is not, it's not a common story, but I do feel like it's almost a trope of the person that lives amongst the natives mm-hmm. who's not native and they accept whoever that person is. And so I, I feel like this could be true on the, f- this is a tale I've heard before. I'm not sure it's this guy though. Yeah, I agree. No, totally. You look at Denver history and there's all these tales of people who hung out with all the Arapaho. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's very fits in with the Western Tale. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was thinking about this with because I was gonna. I feel like his story was kind of too well known, but Uncle Dick Wooten of uh, the of Bent's Fort. He's like known as like the know. guy that forged part of the Santa Fe Trail, oh. and I feel like that's part of his lore too. Is like he was liked among all, everybody loved which him. is yeah. always fishy sure. to me. Yeah, sure, they did. Yeah, but okay, what's that guy's name? Uh, John. John. His name was John, former enslaved man mm-hmm. who was 
considered himself the first white man to settle the Pine River Valley. The first white man, a What's black the- man who was the first white man to settle the Pine River Valley. My third and final story for you. I heard this one about a mysterious mining baron named Matthew Peace, a.k.a. Mateo de la Paz. Mm. And so uh, he appeared in Denver sometime after 1858 during the gold rush time. And he was kind of like part of the gold rush because at that time there were all these stories and all these people talking about like uh, how much gold there was in the Rocky Mountains and, you know, to try to drum up more interest. And um, so his claim was, it was the most fantastic perhaps that I've ever heard. He claimed to be a literal descendant of the Spanish conquistador who led an expedition through, uh, through Mexico and up to Kansas uh, Coronado. And, uh, he said that his ancestor was with Coronado's party and then over some kind of disagreement left the party and he fled to Colorado where his, you know, his descendants, they had kids. And then that, that was who he was. He ended up in Denver. Um, but he ha- he found enough gold apparently to make his family rich. And, uh, he ultimately died a pauper in Denver after failed investments, <laughs> failed investments. Ah, uh, this is also one of those tropes. Yeah. Descendant of. Descendant type. of. Gold, lost all your gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very Colorado star. <laughs> yeah, and like you can come into a place and no one knows you and you can say, oh, I'm the direct descendant of whatever nationality's royalty. Yeah. And, and who's going to question He seemed you. rich. He seemed wealthy. So it's, That's a good, yeah. uh, that's a good grift. So what do you two think? Which which are the truths and which is the tall tale? Oh, man. These also, are... do you either of you recognize any of those stories? No, like I said, I recognize the tropes, but I don't know if I mm-hmm. if I could name any of these folks as real. Do you have any thoughts, Justin? Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and say that the soap swindler is mm-hmm. real because mm-hmm. while I was doing some of my research, I came across a similar story that may not have been exactly the same, but there was a soap swindler. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and say that one is a truth. Okay, interesting. I mean, do, do you want to guess the lie? Actually, maybe that would be a better way to re- oh, okay. to, to okay. reveal so this. I, man, I I think the third one is the tall tale. I think Mateo. <laughs> I think Mateo, the um, conquistador's relative. Yeah. Is what do you think? I'm so torn because <laughs> I. Just, you know, thinking back to, like, Spanish history in Colorado, it makes sense. But, and I feel like I saw that name somewhere on my research journey, but I could just be making that up, too, because <laughs> it, so- it sounds good. Ugh. You know, I'm going to say that the first white, black, white man to settle the Pine <laughs> River Valley is the lie. Is the tall tale. All right. Well, Brie, you are, you're correct. Oh, the the, the tall tale is the uh, is Mateo de la Paz. I, I did you know that are, those are names and stuff and you know that stuff. The, the Coronado thing did happen, but uh, there was no such man. <laughs> but it is a believable. A, I mean, I, I, thank yes. you, you thank did, you for saying. You so. did in the this is a narrative we have heard before. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the other two, for the record, um, we'll put links, to, I guess, to all the true stuff in the show notes because these are fun stories. But the 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 black man who's the first white man to settle Pine River Valley, his name was John Taylor. Um, they, there's stories about him on the History Colorado's Black John History Trail. App. And then uh, the soap scammer, Soapy Smith. I totally thought you two oh, were going to recognize that. Yeah, that's Soapy did, Smith. I, do, I can't believe I didn't know the story of Soapy Smith, but also I realized it was just a bar that I stumbled past in my college days in uh-huh. Lodo, but never actually went in there or Googled maybe later who Soapy Smith yeah. was. <laughs> no, I read that one. The reason why I thought that the um, 
other one was a lie was because I thought you were playing off the whole Colorado Springs Black Klansman thing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that's so that would have been a good (laughs) tie in. Like he's switching it up in another era. Justine, do you want to go? So this one. Uh-huh. Uh, I decided, you know, in honor of the stock show, let's do a stock show one. Okay. And this one has to do with Denver's barbecue riot of 1898 mm. and how the stock show almost didn't happen. Um, so if you've ever been in Denver after one of our national sports teams wins a championship, or one of our sports teams wins a national championship, you'll know that we're not above a riot here. Um, so it's a, True. It's a very... Mm-hmm traditional thing here in Colorado. We have the spirit of the riot in mm-hmm. us. I think, uh, for the record, the most recent couch burning, I think, was after the DU Pioneers hockey championship. I was going to say, this oh, yeah, like just, a, that's like a Boulder or, or DU thing. Yeah. Right. It just has to be a local sports team. You mm-hmm. know, they'll burn it down. <laughs> so this is actually a riot that took place in um, January 1898 to celebrate the closing of Denver's National Stock Growers Convention. Um, organizers there were trying to convince the city to have the stock show. So they decided to throw this free barbecue um, for the people of Denver to try to, you know, get them on board with this. Um, so on this day in January, they set up a barbecue, which was supposed to be a grand feast prepared by all of these chefs. There are pounds and pounds of meat, buffalo, beef, venison, mutton, even bear was Ooh. there. Um, and a never, local, yeah, never bear heard meat. Bear. Spiced bear meat. Ooh. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, um, I don't know if that's tough or tender. Who knows? It does not sound good to me. It doesn't sound great. No, even spiced, <laughs> even with seasoning, I don't know if it'd save it. Um, so there was even a local brewery that donated a ton of beer. And so they were ready to have a good time. And by the time the event was set up, um, about 30,000 Denverites had showed up thirsty, hungry, and very impatient. <laughs> 30,000 people is just, in general, a lot. 30,000. Hangry people. Hangry people from all over the city yeah. that was Denver at the time. And um, they began to uh, break down a barrier that was put up to orderly people get people into the venue. And they rushed the tables, <gasps> knocked them down, started looting, taking everything that they could inside. <laughs> and it turned into chaos. They began to riot. According to the Rocky Mountain News, 1,000 knives and forks were stolen, 2,000 <laughs> tin cups. Also, this is a time frame when newspapers just made stuff up. Yeah. That's so, true. Let's be real. The Rocky mm-hmm. Mountain News. Well, I mean, at least the facts of that, we don't know. So yes, this is the stuff that was supposedly stolen according to the Rocky Mountain News. Um, 2,000 tin cups, 50 large white platters, 25 galvanized iron pails, 20 steel flesh hooks, 100 cleavers, hatchets, and carvers, and countless beer glasses. Um, The organizers were criticized for poor planning, and it would take another eight years until the stock show would become a reality. Wow. Did the barbecue riot happen? Oh. Well, I'm going to use my powers of deduction and just point out there were a lot of specifics in that story, lots of specific numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. I don't know. That would be a lot to make up. She was working on this for a long time. I was working. I was writing all this. I'm like, okay. (laughs) All right. So second story. This one was interesting to me because I often travel out west and 
outside of Glenlode, I see the town of No Name, and I always wondered how this mm. town, No Name, got its name. Yeah. So um, it turns out in the early 1880s, a man named Lucas Morgan um, had come from California where he had made a fortune there in the gold rush but had lost it. So um, he was coming over to California or from California to Colorado to try to see if he can cash in on the mining and the gold here mm-hmm. in Colorado. Um, so Lucas Morgan found himself in a small town called Holy Cross City, which was a mining camp near Glenwood Springs. Um, so Morgan at the time wasn't the only person showing up to Colorado to like find a grift, find right. a way to make oh, yeah. money. So he makes his way into this uh, town and he's getting settled in. He's learning about the town and he sees that a lot of like places around the state or people are opening up brothels as a way to make money in these mining towns because there's Hell all these yeah. miners with no families okay. and they have like kids or anything. So that's what they go spend their money on after mm-hmm. They're done. They go to the brothel. They go to the saloon and find their entertainment. After doing grueling mining work, being down underground for hours every day, you get a little money. Exactly. Probably going to spend it. Have a nice meal at your boarding house and go meet a lady. Exactly. The one woman in town. Yep. Um, So he was able to acquire some property um, in the town of Holy Cross. Uh, It's actually called Holy Cross City. So in Holy Cross City, he acquired some property, and he was able to purchase a used circus tent um, (laughs) that he set up a brothel slash saloon in the town named the Silver Star Saloon. And it was one of the only places in that area, so it was an instant success. He started to make a ton of money, and after a while, residents weren't too fond of this brothel town being called Holy Cross City hmm. because of the name. Mm-hmm. So the people petitioned to get the name changed, and there was a lot of debate over what to name it. A lot of people wanted to name it Lincoln Town, but they also thought that that was disrespectful to name it Sex President. Sex Town. Yeah. Mm. So after lots and lots of debate, they finally decided to name it No Name because they didn't want to put any name on something um, the that was town. associated with a brothel. Yep. And so eventually, yeah, they agreed to name it No Name. And uh, after, you know, the mining shut down and the brothels went away, the town eventually just stayed No Name. And there are about 29 residents still Oh, it's still here. a wow. town. Yep. And the it's town not a ghost town. I it's, love that story. I yeah. hope that's true. That's yeah, so that's interesting. Good. I have heard of No Name Colorado and wondered this. Yeah. So that's no name. Okay. Okay, last one. Um, It's about radioactive buildings in Grand Junction. So a lot of people don't really know this history of Colorado, but southwest Colorado near the Utah border was where all of the uranium mining for the Manhattan Project was done. So Colorado mined all the uranium for the first atomic bomb. And these towns were like boom towns. There was a town called... Uh, there's still a town called Nukla to this day. And then there's... Oh, yeah, I think I've been there. Yeah, hmm. Nukla. It's really little. It's actually famous because it is a town where they required all the head of households to carry a gun. Oh. <laughs> I think that was in like 2003 or something. So that's what oh, it's usually Lord. known for. But this area was uranium mining. Well, just north of there, Grand Junction wanted to cash in on all this. So Grand Junction um, had a uranium ore processing mill on the banks of the Colorado River. And when the mill closed, there was hundreds of pounds of um, 
like uranium raw waste mm-hmm. so and just glowing people walking yeah. around. So they were like, you know what? Let's use this to build houses and schools in Grand Junction. So mm-hmm. they took all of this raw material and they built over 4,000 structures in Grand Junction um, out of this raw uranium material. And then it wasn't until about the 1970s they discovered that these walls of these buildings are radioactive, including uh Pomona Elementary School, uh, who had radioactive levels that were 40 times higher than that uh, that were safe. And so it caused a whole bunch of issues to the point where they had to decide what to do. And after decades and decades, uh, the U.S. Department of Energy cleaned it all up and cleaned up all of these 4,000 structures oh in Colorado. Huh. Uranium is one of those things where we're like, we kept that around? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we put it in jewelry? We just wore it? Yeah, I remember hearing, a, I read a story once, and I forget where, but there was a, a uranium miner mid-20th century who won, famously put a chunk of uranium in a bolo tie and wore it his whole life. He oh, was like no. a mining baron, and he eventually got cancer. Yeah, and as, died. And, and was like right there on this <laughs> Yeah, the esophageal yeah. cancer. Whole, a really sad story, but um, yeah, I mean, hey, science, we didn't know. No, we didn't. That's so fascinating. People okay, play loose and fast with uranium. <laughs> okay, uranium <laughs> buildings. Yeah, uranium buildings. Um, in Grand Junction. Gosh, I know, I feel, I've done a lot of work on like the nuclear history That's of Colorado. That's what I was thinking. I was like, this is Paul's wheelhouse. It does feel a little familiar, I have to say. The radioactive buildings of Grand Junction. I remember hearing something about a cleanup. Although it's not one of the most famous stories about nuclear Colorado. Yeah, so I, I didn't know. I didn't know that about Grand Junction. I would say also, I think that we know the barbecue riot from Adrian Miller's book. Yes. Yes, yes. I, I agree. I think that one's true. Because I was like, I know he, t- I remember a story like that, but I didn't remember the details. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this was like a precursor because we were talking about the birth of barbecue. Yeah. Well, um, honestly, I figured you two would know that as the sock show yeah. experts, but I really just want to include that one because it's so it's a cool great story. story. Yeah. No, it's, and I think a, a lot of listeners will be first time hearing it. And it's such a cool, it's also just a wild visual. Yeah. Yes. Like thinking about, just think about a massive meal happening in Civic Center Park right now. Like what it would look like if 30,000 people showed up. Well, I think about that being in my backyard, that riot would have literally happened in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Oh it's crazy. God. I would have probably, because I'm, you know, from the hood, would have ended up with some of those forks yeah, and those cups. <laughs> I was thinking in my head while I was like listening to that story, I was like, I wonder if my dad in the old house has some <laughs> artifacts from the riot Listeners? of 18 18- <laughs> If you are one of these people that has one of these heirloom artifacts that was Please. stolen from the barbecue riot, let us know. We want to see we it. We want to hear about yes. it. Yes. Send I us a picture of that. So, right. okay. So yes, I, I would agree. Two. Let's I think, talk about this. I think whole, I, I would say where we're getting to is the Holy Cross becomes no name. Yeah. I Although love that it. feels good too. Like the whole, the brothel connection and not wanting to, but at the same time, you know, this is when people were naming towns and places like Chinaman's Gulch in Colorado. Like, totally. I don't know if, I don't know if the people would be like ashamed of being associated with a brothel. Mm. What do you think? I, I mean, think about, I think about the, uh, the brothel conversation we had with the historian about women of that era. And like, yeah. it was so despised, but so populated by the same people that despised it that i could see this being also a public yeah of you know like we are publicly denouncing this even though we all participate and are customers at this brothel so but you could see someone like winning a political race over that 100 like we have to you know we can't be associated with this brothel or so you know it's like we're yeah. no name yeah we're mm. no name 
is weird though because we do name everything after Lincoln, for instance. That was also like a thing that could be real. Mm. Every city has a Lincoln, whatever street, whatever building. Post Civil War, yeah, Lincoln was assassinated. So I, I'm still, I'm gonna. That's my vote. I think so Holy too. Cross Me too. Becomes no name. That's what we're picking. That's that's the tall tale. You think it's tall tale? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are right. Yes! Yay! It is a tall tale. Yes! And actually, so here's the surprise. So Holy Cross is actually a ghost town that was a mining town near Eagle, Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, or Eagle County, Colorado. And um, no name is a town in Colorado, yeah. but there's a lot, and there's a population of 29 people there to this day, but there's a lot of dispute on why it's called No Name, but the most common story is that there was a U.S. Census sent out to the town, and they were in an official town. They didn't have a name, so when it asks what the town name was, they put No Name, and then they just And then it just became... <laughs> But I love I love clerical errors. Yes. Yeah. A good clerical so, error that becomes history. All right, Bree. Okay. It's your turn. Okay. So um, this is a pretty short story. It's the story of a longhorn who got loose from a parade route in downtown Colorado Springs. I was just thinking about this today because or last week because we were watching the longhorns come down the street and I was thinking the whole time, oh my God, one of one of these gets loose. <laughs> what do you yeah. do? So the cow's name was Theme de Loof, and she busted through the crowd and was caught on film making her way to the Great Western Bank. So there's video of her trying to break into a bank. Um, I don't know. Maybe she needed to make a deposit for the end of the day. I don't know. <laughs> but um, Theme de Loof was apprehended without harm, and no humans were harmed either. And her owner, Russell Freeman, said, this is a nice cow. She's not wild or crazy, but in town she panics. And just like the people screaming when they saw a cow, she was out of her element. She was just screaming and nervous. Aww. I know. Poor theme de loof. Um, the rogue cow. Can I ask a follow-up question? Yeah. Do we have a date on this? Uh, we do. 2019. 2019. Interesting. Interesting. I left it out to see if you needed it because it could have kind of been at any time, at least since the invention of film. Yeah, that's another good clue. It's on video. So it's on you know. video. Okay. It's on video. Huh. Um, okay, next story. Yeah. This one's about someone you guys know, Molly Brown. Oh, but yeah. The unsinkable Molly uns- Brown herself. Yes. So it, that's part of the story is um, she was never actually known in her lifetime as Molly Brown. She was a survivor of the Titanic, huh. of course, and she became this Denver legend, the unsinkable Molly Brown, as you just mentioned, Paul. But Margaret Tobin Brown was never actually called Molly by anyone that knew her. Um, the nickname came to life after, I, I think after her death. It was kind of vague. It was around in the 30s. She died in the 30s. But a Denver Post reporter named Gene Fowler took some colorful artistic license uh, when he was writing about her life, and he started calling her Molly. And um, after she passed away, the name further stuck because a romance writer named Carolyn Bancroft wrote a fictional account of Margaret's life and her relationship with her husband, J.J. Brown. That story was the rela- was the basis for the Broadway play, which became the MGM movie, The Unsinkable Molly Brown. And that's the Molly Brown that became famous. Huh. So she was never Molly. She was actually Margaret. But it was kind. Of, it's kind of like when someone's story takes on a life of their own after they're dead. Mm-hmm. And that's why we should call her Margaret. Um, my third story, also about a brothel. I have to say that was a very popular theme in reading and researching. I was like, oh, there's a lot of good brothel stories. So this one is actually about a lesser known shady lady of the West named Contessa Hartley. And she ran the most low-key but influential and short-lived brothels in Colorado um, on paper. 
and on the first floor of her house, she ran what looked like a residential home for wayward girls. But a closer look would reveal that these were not school-age girls at all. They were adult women who specialized in topics like geopolitical conflicts, mining exploits, fine arts, and industrial production, The not having knowledge of these things. Um, oh, and they were prostitutes, obviously. Okay. But... Uh, Contessa didn't just run a palace of sex work. Her girls provided intellectual stimulation. Um, operating for just 18 months in what is now the ghost town of Teller City, Colorado, um, she was turned over to the th- authorities and her place was shut down for good after it was rumored that a city official's date with a pretty and very brainy lady went sideways when she knew more details. She was a history buff. She knew more details about the contractual aspects of the Louisiana Purchase than he did. And... <laughs> He was like, forget this lady. I'm getting this place shut down because I just had my ego bruised by a very smart sex worker. <laughs> so that's the story like of that story a lot. Shady Lady Contessa Hartley's uh, house of prostitution and intellectual enjoyment. Hmm. I mean, that's the one I hope is true the most, but I maybe think is the least true just because it feels too perfect. Also, the Longhorn getting loose in Colorado Springs it feels familiar to me. I don't know. I remember. I have to. I mean, I think. Yeah. I know it's happened. I know that it has happened that a Longhorn has gotten loose somewhere in Colorado. It's not the first time. Yeah. I mean, I used to watch Fox had a whole animals gone wild where animals (laughs) broke off from things. So we've seen it before. Mm -hmm. So that one feels real. I will tell you which one I know is real for sure. Mm. And that's Margaret Brown. You did know that. Mm -hmm. I did know that. And I only really know that. And big advocate for calling her Margaret because I'm on the board for Historic Denver. And we run the Molly Brown Brown House, which is still called that. But one of the things they do tell you when you go is that she was never known by Molly in her real life. She was always Margaret. And I have to say I had never heard that, but I've never done the tour. So I was like, oh, this is a thing about Molly Brown I didn't know. So So I volunteered. I've been volunteering there, and that was one of the first things they taught me. So, Molly Brown, that that story seems real. I got a good feeling about the Longhorn one. My bet, my bet is on the uh, Contessa Hartley and the the brothel for uh, genius prostitutes. That one's hard because an, a bruised ego man just sounds really realistic to me. Justine, you have a you have a guess between the Longhorn and the brothel. I want the brothel thing to be real, but I think it's I the tall tale. It's a beautiful story. Yeah. You guys are correct. I made that one up totally. Totally made that up out of my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Teller, Teller City is a real ghost town, to be fair. Mm. That was a real place. Mm. So, But all of that is fake. So you guys are correct. Yay. Good job. Justine, Paul, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Bree. Bree Davies, and I'm here with newsletter editor Adrian Gonzalez. Hi, Adrian. Howdy, Bree. It's Western Week here at CityCast Denver, and we're here with our Tacovas tip. What do you have for us, Adrian? Today's tip is all about the history of the West and where to learn about it here in Denver. I've heard murmurings of folks trying to say that Denver is the Midwest. Don't let anybody tell you that. We have a rich history here, and we are an essential part of the history of the West. So one of my favorite places to go to learn about it is History of Colorado. They have one right now all about the Utes the native folks that were here before uh, before all the cowboys and cowgirls. Um, and then on the third floor, they have dioramas, they have beautiful exhibitions where you can see how Denver has transitioned throughout the history of the West. So you can really learn what Denver looked like throughout the years. I love it that you can learn about the rest West right here in the city. We're the heart of it. Yeah, we're in it. Thanks for joining us, Adrian. 
Thanks, Bree. Step into a new pair of Tacovas for wherever your journey takes you. And remember, don't go gently. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell the mayor of No Name about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya. While Peyton looks at clip art of stock photos of cowboys. (laughs) 